0: attention to John's gospel, John chapter 1, as uh, we kind of uh, are beginning our Christmas series, Behold, a Savior is born. Uh, Next Sunday is, or I should say this coming Sunday rather, is the uh, first Sunday of Advent and we'll be looking at uh, themes of hope and joy and peace and love. But before we begin to look at that, I thought it would do us well to, to answer a question, And that question is, why Christmas? Why Christmas? Uh, We know that the next month is going to be a busy time. We know it's going to be a hectic time. We know that if we're not careful, we're going to wake up on December 26th and just kind of wonder where the last month has gone. Uh, Our goal in this series of messages is to help us slow down. And help us to answer that question, why Christmas? Why shouldn't this be just about tinsels and treats? Why should this season be more than presents and get-togethers and food? What can we do as followers of Jesus to see the connection between these celebrations in our lives today? And I think we'll answer that question in John's Gospel you see, of the of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh Matthew and Luke give us the what of Christmas. They're the guys who kind of make sure we know about the angels, and Mary, and Joseph, and the shepherds, and the manger, and, and those details that are important in this story. Uh Mark, <laughs> Mark's kind of on his own little island. Mark is just kind of like Here, let's start, boom, here we go, and there he goes. Uh, John, on the other hand, John focuses not so much on the what of Christmas as the why of Christmas. And especially in John chapter 1, what we see him doing in the first part of the chapter is give us a resume of sorts of Jesus. And then he shares with us how we should respond to who Jesus is. And I want us to look this, uh, during this, this time of our study, in John chapter 1, specifically verses 35 through 51, John has already introduced Jesus as the Word when he says back up in the first few verses of chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. And he says in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the Word became flesh. God took on flesh, the incarnation Christmas, that's why we celebrate Christmas, is the birth of Jesus, God coming into this earth to save us from our sins. And John 1.14 says that word took on flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then at the end of John chapter 1, Jesus meets several different people. And in meeting those people, I think he helps answer the question why we as his followers should, should seek to quote-unquote baptize this uh, secular Christmas thing and make it a very spiritual uh, journey for us over the next several weeks. If you've got your Bible and you'd like to read along with me, I would love for you to do that in John chapter 1 beginning in verse 35. The next day again John was standing with two of his disciples and that John is John the Baptist and John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he walked by and said behold the lamb of God the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them what are you seeking and they said to him rabbi which means teacher Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the son of man. Now I want us to take this text And answer that question, why Christmas? By making three statements. The first statement is this. In coming to earth, Jesus presents us with an opportunity. When Jesus came to earth, he presented us with an opportunity. When Jesus left heaven, when he came to this earth, That in and of itself presents us with an opportunity to have our very deepest needs met and fulfilled. Did you notice that when John the Baptist saw him coming, John said, behold the Lamb of God. That's not the first time John has said that, back just earlier in John's gospel in chapter 1. Uh, You see, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus coming and he makes the same statement. Only that time he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, when, when John referenced Jesus as the Lamb, that was something that the Jewish religious system would have been very familiar with. The Jews would have identified with that statement because the Lamb was very important. You first see the lamb all the way back in the book of Exodus where the people of God have been enslaved in Egypt for four centuries and God says it's time to let my people go. And in convincing Pharaoh to let his people go, God sends to them a series of ten plagues. That last plague is the death of the firstborn. But God makes a provision in that, and God says to his people and to anyone else who would listen, he said, here's what you can do to avoid this plague. Find a lamb and offer that lamb as a sacrifice of worship to me and take part in this celebration of what I'm about to do for you, what they would come to call the Passover celebration. And that lamb would be used for what would become known as the Passover meal. And Jesus, God, told them through uh, the directive of Moses to take the blood of that lamb that's going to point us to Jesus. And if they would paint the doorpost of their homes with that blood, when the angel of death came through, when the angel saw the blood on the door, he would pass over that home. A few years later, when God establishes the sacrificial system and the religious worship of Israel in the temple, He sets up a sacrifice that was to occur once a year. And the way that sacrifice worked was that worked is that the the father of the family would take a lamb. And having raised that lamb or having purchased that lamb, he would take that lamb to the priest. And that lamb was representative of that family and that father was the symbolic head of that family as he took this sacrifice on their behalf and as they took that lamb to the priest and the priest would begin to offer that sacrifice the father would place his hand upon the head of that lamb and he would symbolically confess the sins of his family and that was the idea of the transfer of the family's sins upon that innocent lamb that was being slain and slaughtered and sacrificed to pay the price for their sin so when John sees Jesus coming John says behold the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God who Moses talked about as being the one who would allow judgment to pass over us because he's going to provide for a solution for our sins, an opportunity for our sins to be forgiven. When John said, behold, the lamb of God, it was the lamb of sacrifice that was in his mind. It was the lamb that would be offered once and for all for the sacrifice of our sins to provide us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven notice that John's declaration for us is to behold behold that word behold means to look at to recognize to understand what you are seeing to pay attention and John the Baptist says behold look at him recognize this lamb of God. See him, pay attention to him. And that admonition is still relevant today. Men and women, boys and girls have a sin debt that needs to be covered. And Jesus is the lamb of God, not one of many, not a lamb, but the lamb of God who was sent to meet your deepest need. Forgiveness, the cancellation of the cost and price of sin against your soul. Did you notice how Jesus interacted with a couple of disciples, of John the Baptist's disciples in verse 38? He looked at them and he said, what are you seeking? That's a question you need to ask yourself today. Because you see, all of us, whether we recognize it or not, we are searching for something that's going to give us value, that's going to give us significance, that's going to give us worth, that's going to provide joy in our lives. What are you seeking in an attempt to find those things? And what does Jesus have to do with that search? Why Christmas? Because when we celebrate Christmas, we recognize that Jesus is presenting you with the opportunity today to find your value, your worth, your significance in a relationship with Him in which He removes your sin and becomes your Savior. In coming to earth, Jesus provides an opportunity to meet our deepest need. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, in coming to earth, Jesus provides us with a new identity. He presents this opportunity to us to have our sins forgiven, but he also provides for us, if we will have those sins forgiven, a brand new identity. Jesus meets for the first time, and at least has a conversation for the first time, in this text in John chapter one with a fisherman named Peter. Peter and Jesus will go on to have uh, quite the unique relationship. It's a relationship that uh, Jesus, understand Jesus is always constant in that relationship. He never changed in that relationship. It was Peter's role in the relationship that changed so often. One minute, Peter is ready to die for him. The next minute, Peter is running away, not wishing to be identified with Jesus. They, they have this very interesting relationship that lasted a few years. But this is the first conversation that they have. And if you notice the, the verse, if you want to look at it again, is in verse 42, where Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, brought Simon Peter to Jesus And Jesus looked at him, and Jesus gave him a nickname. Now, Simon wasn't seeking this nickname. Jesus gave him this nickname. In fact, in verse 42, there are three aspects of Peter's name. This is very important. Look at verse 42 again. Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, You are Simon, the son of John, You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, really, really, really pay attention to this. Man, this is is important. You are Simon. So that's the first name he gave him. That was, or he didn't give him a name. That was his his name. That, That was his current name. You are Simon. When Jesus says you are Simon, he is speaking to the present. He's speaking to who Simon is right then and there. But he also says, you are the son of John. Now, that's a family name. And so when Jesus refers to the family name, we can think of that as Jesus referring to his past. This is who he has been. He is Simon, but when he was growing up, he was known as the son of John. That's his past. That's his family name. That's a past identity. But then Jesus says, I will call you Cephas which means Peter. Cephas slash Peter means rock. And that is a picture of what Jesus would do with him in the future. So in that one verse, the three iterations of his name, you have Jesus addressing his his past, the son of John, his present, you are Simon, and his future, you will be called Cephas, or that is Peter. Here's what Jesus, the very important lesson Jesus is teaching us. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, you are no longer defined by your past nor are you defined by your present. Instead, you are now defined by who Jesus is making you into and the plans that he has for your life. Will you let that sink in for just a second? Jesus knows full well who you were in the past. And he loves you anyway. Jesus knows full well who you are in the present, and he loves you anyway. And Jesus knows who he's making you into and who you will be in the future. Let me ask you a question. What names have defined your past? What names have people used to define your past? what names define your present what names does the enemy use against you failure unlovable a burden not good enough just a problem broken damaged what names Has the enemy used in your life? What names is he speaking over your life? Look, those names may describe who you once were. And those names may describe who you are even now, but Jesus offers to call you by a brand new name. He offers to give you a new identity. The enemy in your past may assign you names, but Jesus wants to give you a different name. Jesus wants to assign to you the name of the beloved. Jesus wants to call you his chosen. Jesus wants to call you adopted. Jesus wants to call you restored. Jesus wants to call you redeemed. So when the enemy reminds you of your past, or when you find yourself caught up in living in some kind of life that you don't want to live in the present, remember what Jesus has said about your future with him. You can have a new identity today. Your past does not have to destroy you. Your present doesn't have to define you. Jesus can remake you and cause you to become a new creation in him. Why Christmas? Because when Jesus came to earth, he provides us with an opportunity to have our sins forgiven and when he presents us that opportunity, he then provides us with a brand new identity in Christ. But here's the third thing we'll say In coming to earth, Jesus points us to our responsibility. As we celebrate Christmas, it's going to remind us of our responsibility. In fact, when we understand the opportunity, that Jesus gives us to have our sins forgiven. And when we desire to embrace the new identity he gives us, we realize that we then have a responsibility to follow him. You see, the essential invitation of the gospel is found in verse 43 in those two words, follow me. What being a Christian is, is best summarized in those two words, follow me. Being a Christian is not about being perfect. Being a Christian is not about being able to win the Bible version of Jeopardy. Being a Christian is about following Jesus. Say, Pastor, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, I mean, back then, it was pretty straightforward. The disciple literally followed physically the master, the rabbi, the teacher. And that disciple would listen to what the teacher said, would try to learn what the rabbi was teaching. who would also try to live as the rabbi lived. Following Jesus It's all about receiving that new identity. And then from that identity, we begin to learn to think like Jesus. And we begin to learn to act like Jesus. Once we accept the opportunity that's presented to us to have our sins forgiven, once we're given a new identity, following Jesus then becomes about learning all that Jesus wants us to know And living as best we can in how Jesus lived before us. Those things don't make us followers of Jesus. Those are things that when we become followers of Jesus, we embrace in our lives. Here's how it all fits together. When we embrace the opportunity Jesus gives us to be forgiven of our sins, we're given a new identity in Jesus, and he immediately changes us and causes us to accept the responsibility that we have to follow him by learning about him and by living like him. And uh, Philip is a great example in our text, one of those guys Jesus encounters Philip didn't know everything there was to know about Jesus, but he knew something about Jesus. And he immediately began to do what Jesus would do, inviting other people to follow Jesus. Look back at verse 44 of our text. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, said to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. By the way, this is an awesome outreach strategy to follow. Philip tells Nathanael his story about about his encounter with Jesus. Nathanael asks an antagonistic question. Philip doesn't answer the question Philip just invites him to come and see Jesus doesn't need your help converting your family member Jesus doesn't need your assistance to save your coworker or your friend What Jesus wants us to do is to tell them our story and then invite them come and see Come and see. Come and worship and see. Come to Christmas at first in a couple of weeks and see how Jesus is presented. Come and see who Jesus is to us. This responsibility that's posed to Philip is the responsibility of all those who have ever accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. It's just simply that. Follow Jesus. So Jesus then presents us with this opportunity to have our sins forgiven and he, when we receive that opportunity, he provides for us a new identity. And as he provides us that new identity, he points us to our responsibility. One of the greatest human needs is to be known and to be loved. To be known but not loved is to be rejected. To be loved and to not be known is just pretty shallow. We all want someone who really knows us, who sees us in all of our brokenness, and who chooses to love us anyway. But see, that presents a dilemma, doesn't it? Because there is a lot about us that is unlovable. And we're afraid that when people see those parts of our lives, that are unlovable, that they won't love us. And so what do we do? I think we do what Nathaniel is doing here. Or or at least this is what I think Nathaniel's doing in the text. I think Nathaniel's hiding. Everyone else is around, but Nathaniel's out under a fig tree. Everyone kind of knows Jesus in the area, and Nathaniel goes and he hides under a fig tree. Just like we try to do when we believe that there's no one who will love us when they see all these broken parts of our lives. We just go and we try to hide under a fig tree. But you know what? Jesus saw us under that fig tree trying to hide our faults and our failures in our sin. So he went to the cross to die for those sins, to die for those faults, to die for those failures. And he absorbed my sin and your sin into himself so that we could be made new. Jesus would not hide under a tree, but rather he would crawl upon a tree knowing everything about us, knowing our sins and our shortcomings and our faults and our failures. And he would die for us to forgive us of our sin. Why Christmas? Because when we celebrate Christmas as followers of Jesus, we celebrate the truth that the power and the presence of God came to earth as a baby born in poverty who grew up to become a humble carpenter and who would lay down his life for his enemies rather than destroying them. You see, Jesus, instead of coming as a lion to destroy, he came as a lamb to save He showed his real power, not in destroying his enemies, but in saving them. And today, that Lamb of God offers salvation to all who would receive it. Have you allowed God to meet that deepest need in your life? To be saved from your sin. If you've never allowed God to meet that need, then I would implore you, man, reach out to me. Uh, go to our website, fbcmilton.org slash next steps. Or you can email me at jrussell at fbcmilton.org or give our church office a call and say, hey, I need to talk to someone to learn what it means to follow Jesus, to have my sins forgiven. Have you allowed God to meet your deepest need to forgive your sins? Have you allowed him to give you a new identity? And if he has, are you living in that identity? Don't allow the enemy to speak of your past identity in such a way that it's louder than what Jesus says about you today as a forgiven child of God. Are you ready to follow him? Father, I thank you that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. I thank you that he came to this earth to present us with the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. And as those sins are forgiven, he provided for us a new identity that in Christ, all things become new. The old things have passed away. And that points us to our responsibility to faithfully follow you. I pray whatever need we need to, uh, we have in our lives today, whatever step we need to take, that today we would take that step. We would seek you to meet that need. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I hope to see you this coming Sunday as we continue our Behold series and we think about the hope that we have and that the Advent season brings us. God bless.